Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Four Persons Show on Blog Talk Radio. We are your enthusiastic and faithful Catholic apostolate. For more information about what we do, go to our show page at thefourpersons.com and our blog site at thefourpersons.net. To call in tonight with your comment or question, dial 515-602-9655. The number, again, is 515-602-9655. My name is Ken Litchfield, and I would really like to thank John for inviting me to uh, join the group here at the Four Persons Radio Show. It really is an honor, and uh, I look forward to working with the team to bring the truth of the Catholic faith to more people. I'm going to start out, this is my first show, with uh, some background on myself so that people will know. how I came to be a Catholic apologist and why I'm worth listening to. I grew up in the Catholic Church, was baptized as a baby, uh, and went through the sacramental assembly line in the Catholic Church where, you know, we have like the sacraments you receive at the different times. Uh, My family went to church on Sundays and on holy days, and we prayed before eating. But I followed the Catholic faith more out of habit, you know, because it was just a way of life for me. Uh, I didn't really know that much about what we do in the Catholic Church and why we do it. I learned more about the Catholic faith in my world history class than I did in my catechism class. I don't blame anyone but myself because the information may have been there in my catechism class, but I didn't pay attention. As a kid, you know, doing something extra outside of school, you know, just distracted you from the things that you wanted to do. So maybe the information was there, maybe it wasn't. But I do know that there's a lot of cradle Catholics out there that don't really know that much about the Catholic faith. And that's why I consider cradle Catholics and Protestants and non-Christians to be in my mission field. I want to share the truth of the Catholic faith with everybody who has an interest in it and everybody that needs to have an interest in it. I am a member of Holy Family Parish in Memphis, Michigan. It is in the southeastern area of the lower peninsula of Michigan, so basically in the Midwest. I have served in my local Knights of Columbus Council as financial secretary for 20 years and served as Grand Knight for two years. I'm currently the council advocate, which means I'm allows me to be the old wise guy who knows what we have done in the past and how things are normally done in a Knights of Columbus council. Our council is very active, and we are 
growing in activities, if even if we're struggling to keep up our membership. Uh, we're a small council, but we really do a lot. Uh, in the month of May, we had three activities. Uh, we had a flower sale, which was a fundraiser for our council, and then we had a breakfast for Mother's Day for all the mothers, and the money that we raise from that we give to the youth group so that they can go to Steubenville. And then we also had a bike blessing, um, bike and hot rod blessing for all the people that are going to be cruising around this summer. And the money we collect at that fundraiser, we donate to the local pregnancy center. So in the month of May, we had three great activities to serve others. My parish holy family is part of the merciful love of Jesus family of parishes. Through this family of parishes, I usher at St. Augustine Church in Richmond, which is the town just south of me. Even though I'm registered at the parish in Memphis, I attend church and serve as an usher in the church in Richmond. This really helps show that the Catholic faith is truly universal and the church is so much bigger than the one that you just attend near your home. So don't be afraid to reach out and go to other churches. You'll find that, you know, it's pretty much the same at all the churches and one of them might suit you more than another. I've given presentations about the Catholic faith at my church and at a men's conference. And if you would like to have me speak at your parish, send me an email at kenlitchfield61 at gmail.com. And we can arrange a mutually convenient time and work out all the logistics. Around 2005, I started taking my Catholic faith more seriously. It was a slow but steady deepening in the faith. I st started to, you know, think more deeply about prayer uh, through the Knights of Columbus, where we are really encouraged to pray the rosary, started praying the rosary daily, and church on Sunday, basically. Around 2013, I read the Left Behind books, which started my investigation into the rapture. Scott Hahn and Tim Staples saved me from falling into the bad theology of the rapture and inspired me to go deeper into the Catholic faith. This led me to other Catholic apologists like Jimmy Aiken, John Martin Noni, Gary Mashuda, Trent Horn, William Albrecht, Patrick Madrid, David Anders, Devin Rose, Paul Thigpen, Eric Yabara, and many, many more. They often referred to the writings of the early church fathers, who were the men that wrote about Christianity after the apostles, but before the Catholic Church inspired, assembled the Bible. They inspired me to do my own research on the Bible, And I now have more than 15,000 hours of research into a variety of related topics from ancient civilizations to the Bible as we have it today. Around 2015, I came to the realization that I have an obligation to share the truth I have learned with my fellow Catholics and non-Catholics. 
I started defending the faith, the Catholic faith on Facebook, and also help explain the Catholic faith on the Coming Home Network, Catholic 365, Catholic Answers, and by answering emailed questions. I started saving my answers since the same ones came up over and over again. I now have a library of over 250 stock answers in my Catholic Apologetic Library. If you'd like a free copy of my Catholic Apologetic Library, just send me an email at kenlitchfield61 at gmail.com, and I'll send you the whole thing for free. In 2018, I published my first book called How Old Is Your Church? It has my top 25 explanations about the Catholic faith, and it covers them in about 100 pages. Some parishes use my book in RCIA to help supplement the information that they get there. And to the people that are in RCIA, they need some help defending questions about the Catholic faith. It's good for that, too. And I give copies of my book to the confirmandi at my church so that they know how to share the truth of the Catholic faith with other people. Because once you make your confirmation, you are now responsible for living the faith. My book makes a great gift for people who are receiving sacraments in the Catholic Church or joining the church. I've done podcasts in the past with Gary Mashuda on hands-on apologetics, Catholic Canuck, and Catholic Table Talk. And I've also done podcasts with William Hemsworth. I really look forward to working with William Hemsworth and Luke Caskell here on the Four Persons Radio Show. Through Facebook, I have answered questions about the Catholic faith around the world. I do a weekly class with Catholics in Pakistan to help bring them back home to the Catholic. I have an organization with them called Catholics Come Home International. My friend Kashif over in Pakistan tells me that over 50 families have come back to the Catholic Church in Pakistan through our efforts. We also have a school over there that helps uh, people, young people get a Catholic education. The Catholic Church is the only church that goes all the way back to the beginning of Christianity. It is the church that discerned which books would make up the Bible. It is also the church that hand-copied the Bible for 1,100 years before movable type was developed. And even then, after movable type was developed, the first book that was published was the Bible. And it still took two big volumes to get it all printed on paper. We wouldn't have the Bible today if the Catholic Church had not preserved it. The Catholic interpretation of the Bible can be traced to the beginning of Christianity through the writings of the Church Fathers. So this is how we know that the Catholic interpretation of the Bible is the original and correct interpretation of the Bible. So many Protestant churches have different interpretations of the Bible, but when you read the writings of the second generations of Christians and beyond that, you find out that the Catholic Church has the original interpretation of the Bible from a time before the Bible existed. I have 
written many short essays that explain the Catholic faith in everyday English for the people and the pews, not for scholars. And I freely share what I call my apologetic package of writings, which are about two and a half pages long or less. There are some that are much longer, uh, like my long history of the Bible, which is about 10 pages, but most of them you can read pretty quick. Each essay is based on 10 to 20 hours worth of research, so it's not just something I made up. You can rest assured that you're getting good information. Again, if you'd like a free copy of my apologetic package, send me an email at kenlitchfield 61 at gmail.com and I'll send you the whole thing for free or you can look me up on Facebook and we'll get connected that way. Catholic apologetics is not Catholics apologizing for other Catholics. Men are good at doing apologetics because we get a lot of practice with our wives, you know, for leaving our dirty socks on the floor leaving the toilet seat up, not taking out the garbage, forgetting her birthday or our anniversary, things like that. But this is what apologetics is really about. It comes from a Greek word called apologia, which is a reasoned defense of a person or a topic. It would be like a lawyer making a case for his client. So apologetics is about making a case for the Catholic Church so that you know what you believe and why you believe it. And it comes straight from the Bible. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is within you. And this is what Peter was writing, you know, back in the first century of Christianity. And he wanted the first Christians to understand the Catholic faith so that they could explain it to others. And keep in mind, at this time, the Catholic faith was illegal. If you were a Christian, you could be killed for that. And the Jews were cooperating with the Romans to search out Christians and have them arrested and if they would not denounce the faith you know they would be killed so when you were doing apologetics back at that time you had to be real careful about who you were talking to but this is the reason we do apologetics to give a reasoned defense of what the Catholic Church teaches the first principle of apologetics is that you have to know that you have the right church. I have a rehearsal video on YouTube called The Jewish Roots and Early Christianity, or Early Church History. And if you watch that, it's about an hour and 10 minutes long. I go through a whole lot of material explaining how the Jewish roots of Christianity and early Christianity showing how it grew out of its Jewish roots. And why should we do apologetics? So that we can learn the faith, defend the faith, and share the faith. 
Catholics generally don't know the faith that well, and apologetics helps them. And like I said earlier, you know, so many of us cradle Catholics just grew up in the Catholic faith, and it was something we did on Sunday, but not necessarily did we live the faith in between Sundays. So the more you know about the Catholic faith, the more you'll want to live the Catholic faith, and the deeper relationship you will have with God. Apologetics goes hand in hand with the new evangelization proposed by John Paul II. That is, St. John Paul II. But you can't share the Catholic faith if you don't know the Catholic faith. So I encourage everybody to learn a little more of the Catholic faith every day. The question is, how do you learn more? So we all need food, shelter, and clothing to do our work to earn enough money to do those kind of, to keep those kind of things. And, but we also have some free time after that, hopefully. And most people fill up their free time with different recreational activities. These are activities that help round out a person's personality and life, but they don't necessarily contribute to learning about the Catholic faith. So I encourage people to give up half of the free time that they spend on recreation to learn more about the Catholic faith so that you will be better prepared to share the truth of the Catholic faith. There's three kinds of apologetics. There's natural apologetics, where you use logic and reason, and you can use this with non-Christians. Then there's biblical apologetics, where you use logic, reason, and the Bible, and you can use that with Protestant Christians. And then there's Catholic apologetics, where you use logic, reason, the Bible, and the Catechism. If two Catholics have a dispute about what the Catholic Church teaches, Fortunately, we have the catechism, and we can look it up in the catechism, and what the catechism explains is what the Catholic Church teaches. And as Catholics, we sign up to submit to what the Catholic Church teaches. We don't get to pick and choose what the Catholic Church teaches and what we want to do based on that. Now, often when you're doing apologetics, you might not know the answer. So here's the escape phrase. I don't know, but I will find out and get back to you. And at that point, you know, get an email address or a phone number or some kind of contact information. You know, perhaps it's somebody that you see at work every day, family member that you might see again at the next family get together. But when you don't know about something, that's the perfect opportunity to get out and do some more research so that you will know the answer. And that's how I developed my apologetic library. People would ask a question. I would write out an answer. I would do my confirmation research to make sure that the answer I'm giving is correct and have the date rights and the Bible quotes rights. And then I'd save a copy. So each challenge to the Catholic faith that you receive is just an opportunity to share the truth of the Catholic faith or an opportunity to do more research. So don't be afraid to say, I don't know, 
but I will find out and get back to you. You can do apologetics with your family, your friends, and your coworkers. You can talk about your experience because your experience is unique to you and can help people better connect to what you want to talk to them about. And always remember that you are the face of the Catholic Church in real life for other people. If you're a cranky old curmudgeon, people are not going to want to be around you. If you are a happy Catholic who looks forward to going to heaven, then people will want to be around you. So you are the billboard of the Catholic faith for other people so always keep that in mind. And if you get cranky with them because they're not submitting to what you think they should submit to, you know, like if you explain something to them and they don't get it, you have to be patient with them. You can't get mad at them and call them names because that does not advertise the Catholic faith well. You can share simple writings with other people or audio talks on the faith, just like you would a book or a movie. So if you learn something new about the Catholic faith, then you, know, you can talk to other people about it. You don't have to be afraid to share the truth of the Catholic faith because you shouldn't be afraid to share some book that you read or some good movie that you saw. It's all the same kind of thing. And somebody might reject, you know, your suggestion to read a book or watch a movie, or they might reject your new insight into the Catholic faith. But our obligation is to share the truth of the Catholic faith. It isn't our obligation to convert souls. Only the Holy Spirit can convert souls. We just share the truth and always consider an attack on the Catholic faith as an opportunity to share the Catholic faith. There's no need to get mad at somebody attacking the Catholic church. All you have to do is offer a defense of the Catholic church or an explanation as for the misinformation they have or why Catholics believe what we believe. We'll get into a lot of different topics in the future, and you'll learn how to defend the truth of the Catholic faith when people attack you. There's many different tools for apologetics. Um, I highly recommend my book, How Old Is Your Church? You can get it for $6 on Amazon. It's a very, it's a great introductory guide for the Catholic faith. So if you don't know anything about the Catholic faith at all, get my book. If you know something about the Catholic faith, I also recommend getting my book because it gives you great ways to defend the Catholic faith if you don't already know how to do that. And on YouTube, I have over 200 different playlists assembled on different Catholic topics. You can watch those different YouTube videos 
or listen while you work. That's how I got into apologetics. I started listening to YouTube videos about the Catholic faith, and I started assembling playlists on it. Uh, I've also listened to a whole lot of Catholic answers and uh, different shows on EWTN where they explain the Catholic faith. And you can take notes from that. And once you gain a large body of knowledge, you can write your own apologetic writings, or you can just get my apologetic package and build on that. As I previously mentioned, I have a YouTube video, The Jewish Roots of Christianity and Early Church History. That's also a great place to start. Um, you can get digital copies of books and other apologetic writings, and you can put them on your phone your tablet so that when you have some free time here or there, you can look on your phone or your tablet or your laptop and read these things to help get that information into your mind so that you can explain the faith to other people. Apologetics writings from my apologetic library follow this pattern generally. I start with what we share in common with our Protestant brothers and sisters. And then I explain the origins of the Protestant interpretation of the Bible and the Bible verses that they use. And then I explain the Jewish roots of the Catholic teaching and interpretation of the Bible. And then I explain the Catholic teaching and interpretation of the Bible with the Bible references to support that. And here's the thing that Catholics can do that Protestants can't do. I also reference the early church fathers that support the Catholic teaching. And then I also add the catechism references for further information. So if two Catholics have a, a dispute over, a, they can refer to the catechism and know what the catechism teaches. So that is the official teaching of the Catholic Church. And the early church fathers is the main thing that have brought a lot of Protestants into the Catholic Church. When they go looking in the early, early church and earlier, earlier, earlier church, trying to find Christians that wrote with a Protestant interpretation of the Bible, they find that it's not there, and they end up becoming Catholic. Baptism makes us a member of the body of Christ, which is his church. In Acts chapter 2, we find that 3,000 are added to the church through baptism. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it talks, writes about how a Christian should not go into, uh, bind himself to a prostitute, because if he does, he binds the body of Christ to that prostitute. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he writes about how the church is the body of Christ, and we are all one because we are all members of the body of Christ. Now, as a member of the body of Christ, we all need to do our part. Paul writes about how 
the different parts of the body have different functions. And if the whole body were an eye, you know, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body of Christ was an arm, you know, where would the legs be? You know, how would we get anywhere? Things like that. So we have to think of ourselves as a member of the body of Christ and do the things that we need to do to help other members of the body of Christ. Just like one hand of our body washes the other hand and our hand brings the food to our mouth to provide the nutrition our body needs, we all need to do our part. Now, there's two parts of the body that you don't want to be. The first one is the appendix because it does nothing. And the other part is where the poop comes out. But even if you're that part, if you find somebody that is that part of the body of Christ, they serve as a good example of a bad example. Through baptism, we share in Jesus' role as priest, prophet, and king. And you can read more about that in the Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraphs 1267 and 1268. And it's time for all of us to learn about the Catholic faith, carry our carry out our role in the body of Christ. Your job is to get to heaven and bring as many people as possible with you. It's not your job to be constantly entertained. The path to holiness is through service to God as a member of the body of Christ. Uh, James chapter 2 reminds us that faith without works is dead. So just believing in Jesus and going to church on Sunday is not enough. And you need to find some way to live out the Catholic faith in between Sundays. The father is of the domestic, the home church. And the father is a spiritual leader. As the father in the church, the domestic church, it's your obligation to raise your children in the Catholic faith and to make sure that the Catholic faith is practiced in your household and lived in your household. We will all be held accountable on judgment day for what we did and did not do with the knowledge that we had. So know your position in the Catholic church and live it the best you can. Be the spiritual leader that you are called to be the Knights of Columbus has a program called Family Fully Alive, and it's a great way for men to take on their role as the leader of their own domestic church. And there's a series of booklets. If your church does not have a kiosk uh, of all those series of booklets, uh, check with your Knights of Columbus Council and see if they can get one. And if your church does not have a Knights of Columbus Council, either find a nearby church that already has one, or you can start one at your church. The Catholic Christian lives the faith in three ways, just like the Trinity. God the Father, which is the knowledge of the Catholic faith. God the Son, which is living out the Catholic faith in the world. And God the Holy Spirit, which is our prayer life that helps us grow closer to God by growing in holiness. You need all three. 
You need the knowledge of the faith. You need to live the faith in the world. And you need a prayer life. Important that you do all three and not get caught up in just learning about the Catholic faith because if you don't, if all, that's all you're doing is learning about the Catholic faith, you're not helping share the truth of the Catholic faith. And if you're out there doing good works for the Catholic faith in the world, but you're not, but you don't really know that much about the Catholic faith, it's hard to actually bring the Catholic faith to other people. And if you spend all of your time just praying, that can help you grow closer to God, but it doesn't help bring other people closer to God. So that's why you need a balance of all three. Now, since the Catholic Church is so big, we do have some people that are just learning about the Catholic faith and establishing Catholic doctrine. And we also have people that do most of their work serving in the church in the world. And then we also have contemplative monks and nuns that mostly just pray. But even those people in their own little groups have to balance their work with on all three things. They don't just do one thing, but that is their primary focus. Now, this is some things that you can do to grow closer to God through the Catholic faith. And I like to think of God's grace as like the electricity of Christianity and use a flashlight analogy for that. And as we know, a flashlight has batteries, and it has a bulb, and then it has the case. So if a battery gets corroded through sin, the light can't shine very brightly because the electricity can't get out of the battery and make the bulb light up. But if you go to confession, that cleans your spiritual batteries and the light of Christ can shine through you. Because when you do the different things in the Catholic Church, like going to Mass, God's grace is made available but if it can't get into your spiritual battery, God's grace get into you that you can take out to the world and shine the light of Christ to others. Now, a good practice for keeping your spiritual batteries clean is to go to confession. Once a month is a good uh, baseline for going to confession. The Catholic Church requires us to go to confession at least once a year. For many people, they haven't been to confession in a long time. But don't be afraid. Priests are very happy to bring people back to the sacrament of confession. And with so many online resources, you know, you can get an idea of what you're supposed to be doing. And um, every confessional I've been into, they have the act of contrition available there. And remember, you only need to confess the number and the type of sin. You don't need to go into a great big story of how you committed that sin or why you committed that sin, things like that. Just confess the number of times you committed that sin and that type of sin.
You can, another great way to grow in God's grace is pray every day. Pray in the morning, pray before meals, pray for others in distress, pray for conversion, and pray at night. You can pray the rosary, read the Bible, and the catechism. There's a chart that you can get online that helps people read the whole Bible and the catechism in a year, bit by bit. Um, going to daily Mass and Eucharistic Adoration is another great way to grow in God's grace. In Eucharistic Adoration, you get a suntan, sun as in like Jesus. Jesus' grace radiates from the Eucharist, and you can absorb that grace. Uh, there's also the Divine Mercy Prayer, and there's Divine Mercy Prayer groups. And if your church doesn't have one, you can start one. When you attend Mass, receive the Eucharist. Make sure you, you are receiving the Eucharist in a state of grace. And to make sure you're still in a state of grace, go to confession at least once a month. Paul warns us in, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that receiving the Eucharist unworthily just heaps up our, our sin. So make sure that you are in a state of grace so that when you receive the Eucharist, it can help you grow deeper in your relationship to Jesus. You can learn more about the Catholic faith and live the Catholic faith as you grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus. You can get the audio version of a lot of different good Catholic books if you don't have time to sit down and read. Um, I have a 45-minute to one-hour commute back and forth to work, so that's a time that I can spend learning about the Catholic faith. You can also listen while you're doing chores around the house or perhaps while you're working. There's lots of different things that you can do to learn about the Catholic faith while you're doing other things. Realize that your actions today have consequences in the future. Learn more about the Catholic faith. You can share the truth of the Catholic faith, but you also have to keep in mind that when you don't live the Catholic faith well, others can see that, and that may turn them off from the Catholic faith. So make sure that when you are out in public that you are living as a good Catholic, not like a pagan. Another th important thing to do is to guard your chastity by avoiding staring at things that will lead you to lust. There's so many things out there that are tempting us to lust, and we need to do our best to avoid them. And when they come up before us, you need to find another place to look instead of allowing that image to be burned into your mind. And also, we can encourage the women our, in our life not to advertise goods that are not for sale. We need to make sure our, we need to encourage our wives and daughters to dress, dress modestly so that they're not tempting other women, other men to lust after them. 
Uh, we also need to research our political candidates. The first criteria for any political candidate is whether they are pro-life and pro-real marriage. Because these are the foundations of society. No matter what social program a politician supports, if they also support the killing of the unborn, those people are not allowed to take advantage of those social programs. Because So therefore, social program support does not outweigh abortion support. You got to let the person live before you can help them. Real marriage is the other important idea that a politician needs to have because children come from real marriages. When a child is born outside of wedlock, they usually end up in the welfare system and may end up in the welfare system for life. And that does not lead to a, a flourishing society. The mess that our current society in goes all the way back to the birth control pill and pornography because that has allowed us to engage in casual sex and which produces accidental pregnancy when birth control is not uh, properly, which then leads to plan B of abortion. And it also allows people to get in to non-committed marriages. And non-committed marriages have led us to cohabitation and has led us to the loss of the true meaning of marriage. The whole foundation is that sex is for bonding and reproduction. And when we get that right, everything else get, comes into focus properly. Another great way to grow deeper in the Catholic faith is through fasting. Fasting can magnify all the efforts that I've already mentioned. There are a variety of fasting methods. A simple fast, the simplest version is to fast from some activity that you like. And a more thorough fast can be limiting your diet to bread and water only. So if you find that you're already struggling in the Catholic faith, fasting can help you focus on God more because we can combine our suffering with Christ's suffering, as Paul writes about. There's many Protestants out there that are trying to grow their church by converting Catholics. And they lead them down cherry-picked verses from the Bible known as the Romans Road. And they'll start out with, God is the creator of all things, as shown in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And then they'll flip over to Romans chapter 3, where it says, um, we are all sinners. And then that Jesus died for your sins in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But if you remain in your sin, you will die. 
But if you repent and accept Jesus, you will have eternal life, as shown in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. If you confess Jesus with your mouth and accept him in your heart, you will be saved. And then there is no other way to eternal life, as shown in Romans chapter 9, verse 13. And then you make Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior in Romans chapter 11, verse 36. But if these are the only parts of the Bible that were necessary for Christianity, the New Testament would be much smaller. And we wouldn't even need the Old Testament. And that's why there is so much more to the Bible than these few verses. Now, this Protestant Roman road is a great beginning to Christianity, but it's not the end of Christianity. We have to do all the other things that Jesus told us we have to do in the New Testament. Now, if a cradle Catholic doesn't know the faith well, they can be tricked by this Roman road conversion and end up going into a false church that does not have the fullness of the faith. Another thing that Protestants, you know, will often ask Catholics in an order to convert them is they will ask if you are born again. And as Catholics, uh, we don't necessarily know what to say. But the very easy answer is, yes, I was born again at baptism. That's where I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Oh, also, I was accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior when I was confirmed. So, as Catholics, we're born again through bat, which the Bible clearly says, and we accept Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, which is another Protestant question they ask you, uh, when we are confirmed. When a Catholic becomes confirmed, that's when they decide to choose for themselves to follow the Catholic faith. Now, you can go on to explain to them that you were made holy at baptism, and you maintain that holiness through the sacrament of reconciliation, confession. And you can tell them also, I hope to maintain that holiness through the rest of my life by God's grace. The Catholic gospel is explained in a nutshell in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, where it says we are saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ unto the good works that God has laid out for us to do. Protestants love to quote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but they'll skip over 10 because that's where it talks about doing works. Colossians, Paul writes, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6, he writes, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving, and pray for us also that God may open us open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear as I ought to speak conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders making the most of the time let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone so this is where Paul's talking about how, you know, we are the billboard for the Catholic Church, 
and what people see in us as Catholics, we have to make sure that that is a good look for the Catholic Church. If we live like a, any other pagan, we're not being a good example of a good Catholic. Another common Protestant question that you might be thrown at, you might find thrown at you is, what is the gospel that saves? And this is a great one that Protestants like to throw at us because as Catholics, we know about the four gospels, um, but they, they use a few cherry-picked verses here and there that refers to the gospel that saves. And so the best answer that you can give to somebody, what is the gospel that saves, is I've heard many versions of the gospel that saves, because different Protestant churches will point to different parts of the New Testament as the gospel that saves. So you can ask them, which one does your church use? And then, you know, you can look that up in the Bible with that person at that time. And you can, as Catholics, we can agree with everything that's written in the Bible. But, of course, whatever verse they point you to in the Bible, there's a whole lot more to the New Testament than just that one verse. At Mass, in the Eucharistic prayer, in between the first and second half, we do the proclamation of faith, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. So that can be another response you can give to somebody that asks you, what is the gospel that saves? Another common question that we'll get from Protestants is, you know, the Bible says, no, call no man father in Matthew chapter 23, verse 9. Yet, Paul calls himself a father in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, and Philippians 2, 22. So, um, I'm going to hand the show off to John now, because I have to go talk to somebody. So, take over, John. Thank you, Ken. Um, glad to hear that we finally got uh, got you on the air this morning. I would just amplify on what uh, Ken said uh, with regard to Matthew twenty three nine. We we read in the Gospels. I don't have the verse right in front of me, but we read in the Gospels when Mary and Joseph found the child Jesus in the temple after having searched for him for three days. And uh, there's a very interesting passage there because Mary says, um, son, why have you done this to us? Don't you know that your father and I, referring to Joseph, have been searching for you diligently? In other words, they, they were very, very worried. And then Jesus says, why were you worried? Didn't you know that I needed to be in my father's house? Now, interesting in this passage, the word father is used twice, and it has a different meaning in each case. In the first case, father is referring to Jesus' uh, adoptive father, Joseph. And in the second case, it's referring to his heavenly father. 
And the point that I'm trying to make here is context. Context is always key. And uh, Jesus himself in, in um, John 8:56 says, if Abraham were your father, you would have believed in me. So now here Jesus is calling an earthly spiritual leader a father, which would seem to contradict what uh, Protestants imply in their uh, understanding of Matthew 23, 9. But that's not what's happening. What's, what's happening here is context. In the context of the passage, Jesus also says, call no man master, call no man teacher. And yet we hear these terms uh, used in, in many professions. Uh, for instance, I, I have a master mechanical license. And, of course, we know there, there are school teachers. So, again, context. And the context here is put no man on the level of your heavenly father. It's, these passages are about uh, keeping a, 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 a level head, not going too high, not elevating two people, people too high, not elevating people too low. In another passage, Jesus says, when you enter into a, into a church, do not take the first seat. Do not sit in the first pew. Well, does, does that mean we're supposed to leave the first pew empty in the church? No one's allowed to sit there? No. Not what Jesus is saying. But he's saying if you go and sit in the first seat, someone may come to you and say, no, 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 you're sitting in too exalted a position, and then you'd be humiliated as you're moved to a lower exalted position position. He says, sit in the lowest seat so that somebody may come to you and say, no, you, you, you need to move further up. And these verses are about humility. They're about humility and, and about uh, not putting too much stock in yourself and not putting too much stock in men. But the broader context of all of this is that's the way that we're supposed to approach scripture in general. It's about context. And Protestants like to cherry pick verses, as Ken said. They'll take this verse to prove this uh this context or this doctrine. And you you hear this all the time. They say, Well, what verse do you have that shows this? Or what verse do you have that supports that? And sometimes our theology develops through a combination of scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, that we we develop an understanding by piecing a lot of different things together. And that's why they have such difficulty in understanding a lot of these concepts, like grace uh, and, and many of the doctrines um, having to do with with Mary. For instance, I'll give one example. Why do you call Mary Queen of Heaven? Nowhere in the Bible does it say Mary is Queen of Heaven. Well, not directly, no. But if you understand what the Davidic Kingdom was, that the Davidic Kingdom was a model coming Kingdom of Christ, and you see that Jesus is called the Davidic King, that he's the fulfillment of the Davidic Kingdom, well, then you start to understand something. In the Davidic Kingdom, 
there was an office in the Davidic kingdom for the mother of the king. She was called the queen mother. So if Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic kingdom, if he's the Davidic king, well, then who is the queen mother? And you must understand the context of all scripture in order to understand this. And that's why and this is a very, very stark difference between Protestants and Catholics. Whereas Protestants isolate verses, we take the entire scripture in context. I'm in the building trade, and one of the analogies that I like to use is that we, when you look at a building and you want to know how the building is built and how the building is put together, you would go to the blueprint. Well, in, in this understanding, the Old Testament is the blueprint, and the New Testament is the finished building, or as St. Augustine said, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And that's how you really need to understand it. You really need to understand context. The other thing that you need to understand about apologetics, and I learned this very early, is you need to have an appreciation and understanding of logic. Because you will have to deal with uh, what are known as logical fallacies, fallacious arguments that are made, because opponents of Catholicism like to frame arguments in such a way that they sound convincing, they sound like they're making a legitimate point, but they're really not. And one of the ways that they do this is by equivocation of words. They'll take a word that means one thing in a particular context, and they'll apply it to all things in all contexts. I'll give you an example. One example of this is the word sufficiency. They talk about the sufficiency of the suffering of Christ. And this, they use this to defend their doctrine of once saved, always saved, or salvation by faith alone. They'll say, oh, do you not believe in the sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ. Well, yes, we do. Material sufficiency. In other words, was his suffering sufficient? Did it provide the graces needed for the redemption of every man, woman, and child that had lived up to that time or will ever live? Yes, we believe that. The question is practical sufficiency. The question is, how are those graces applied to me? Well, they're not, it's not automatic. I have to cooperate with that. I have to um, accept Christ as my Lord and Savior, and that's Lord and Savior, not just Savior only. So that means that I have to become a new person. And so the idea that I can say a prayer, and all my sins are forgiven and gone, and past, present, and future. Well, that's, that's nonsense. That's nonsense, because if I continue in the same uh, sinful life that I was in before, I haven't changed as a person. And then what was I saved from? 
Christ doesn't save us from our sin only to give us a license to continue to sin. So the context of sufficiency is, yeah, his part is sufficient. His part is, as they like to say, finished. But I must cooperate with that. I must, uh, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, unite my sufferings to his for the sake of his body, the church. And on that note, I have to go. I'm glad that Ken was able to get his first episode off. And God bless you until next time.